I'm Branko Melodic, and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews, and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au, where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. And today we have with us in our studio, Kitty Pot Buchenkul. Kitty Pot Buchenkul is the new group sustainability leader at design firm DWP, overseeing group sustainability initiatives and helping their architects and designers unlock their full sustainability potential. Raised and educated in the United States, Thailand and the United Kingdom, and with a background in law, industrial, international relations, sorry, and public policy, and a specific focus on climate and energy, Kit, as he's known, has four years of experience in climate, corporate climate and sustainability advisory and insurance services for a diverse range of industries, as well as experience with the Australian government in immigration and citizen services. Okay, so so Kit, can you outline your new role at DWP and what do you hope to achieve? Sure. So there are there's you know a handful of things that. Uh, 12 to 18 months. So I think the first thing is the decarbonization of DWP's operation across the globe. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure that our operation in the home front is uh, carbon neutral or sustainable. Um, so far, actually, we've uh, we've just uh, switched our Australian operation to 100% carbon neutral. Okay, so okay. that's the official as of last week. So that's exciting. So Australian operation for us is I think about 70% of our GHG emissions. That's um, so based off of energy consumption alone. Yeah. So that's, so that's, that's the first. And then um, the, the next thing is setting sustainability plan for all of our designs. So in a kind of an overview, a framework to, to, you know, for us to work with. And third is to, I think, be the key person to provide sustainability knowledge, uh, you know, engaging with people and, and uh, making sure people are trained up and uh, essentially it, the integration of tools like energy modeling, solar, glare, thermal, and wind analysis to, you know, to help inform our design decision. And then the fourth thing, and then, you know, the next year or so is to help organize our supply chain to understand the carbon footprint that we have in that front, and then to prioritize our system. Yeah. Mm, okay. To decarbonize your operations, how hard is that? It depends on where you're located. So, for example, if you're in the US or in the UK, you're in, in Europe, there's a good chance that you can go that you can go fully renewable, you can go fully carbon neutral. Whereas if you're in Asia or in the Middle East or in South America, there may be some difficulties obtaining that, that sort of energy source. Mm-hmm. So like I said, for example, our Australian studios have been able to switch to 100% carbon neutral energy because there's an abundance of wind energy in Australia. So we, you know, we switched over to that. And uh, whereas in our Asian studios, like in Bangkok, Vietnam and Singapore, we're still for uh, Bangkok and Vietnam, especially there's not the energy mix for our for, for this region is not a lot of renewable. So a part a part of our energy definitely will come from some sort of renewable, but we can't tell exactly how much. But it's it's minimal. 
Whereas mid the Middle East too, um, I think there's a lot of development there, but we're still not sure. All right. You were recently quoted as saying, um, we use the knowledge that I bring as an environmental sustainability specialist with many years of experience advising industries and corporations to support our design teams and to demonstrate measurable and tangible benefits to our clients in terms of operational yeah. running costs and better buildings. At DWP, you said we are authentically delivering design for a better world. Okay, can you give me a practical example of that? Uh, with my previous employer. So one of my biggest clients was a real estate developer and they work in hospitality. What people are unfamiliar with uh, real estate is the what's on the agenda for them. So people tend to think, think of this. So that's from the consumer perspective, but from the, you know, from the real estate developers sort of inner workings of them. So they care a lot about energy consumption. So what's that? What, what does that tell you about energy consumption? So there's a lot of cost that's, you know, that's involved in that. So it takes a lot of energy and therefore it takes money for, for them to operate. So there's always energy running, right? So, you know, at DWP, I think we're at the sort of the upstream stage of real estate development. So we're kind of in the pre-operational stage for real estate development in that sense. So I think it's crucial to understand that the product that we deliver can be a part of the solution to help out, you know, to, to, to help not only to reduce the running costs through, you know, making sure that there's efficiencies in the design, but also to reduce excess energy consumption, which I think then can help our clients sort of tackle their sustainability or, you know, their decarbonization agenda as well. Um, to answer your question, practical example of this, um, so this is from, from my experience working with my you know, previous employer and in, in the projects that I've worked on. So a real estate developer again. So you know, these guys will will hire an OM third party uh, to come and you know make sure more level, right? So sometimes even like setting targets for these companies to reduce their energy consumption as a part of their contract. So I mean so, you know, what we can do here again is to make sure that our uh, design does not bleed money for, for a lot of, a lot of ways to go about it, you know, making sure that there's an efficient, so they, in the sustainability sphere now, and there's a, there's a concept of a year per square meter to go down as much as you can so that your, you know, your, your building or your creation is very lean in energy consumption. So, you know, it's, it's kind of something that we can explore and we're working on that for sort of uh, trying to find tools that we can help our designers to, to achieve that target as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about assessment. Uh, there's a number of assessment systems around, out there. Uh, one is called LEED or L-E-E-D. It's a global benchmark that allows designers yeah. to demonstrate measurable benefits to clients. Can you please explain yeah. a bit more about LEED and how does it compare, for example, to other assessment systems? So, so LEED is an internationally recognized US-based green building standard, and they have a sort of a focus on the environmental sustainability side of a building. And so, you know, there are more like country specific ones like Green Star in Australia and then Trees in Thailand. And then there's Bream, which is the, the more international one as well. So I think in terms of the international arena, you'll have Lead and Bream that you'll hear more often than others. Whereas, uh, and then there's also Well, which is a growing standard as well. But that, uh, those guys tend to focus on the wellness. So like the social, the human centric side 
of uh, sustainability, you know, so the designs that are uh, for the people, making sure that people are well living in a space that's offered level that that goes beyond what, what is currently being offered, right? Um, so again, with LEED, with LEED though, there's, uh, so it's, it's basically just, you know, split into all these different modules, like, you know, site transport, indoor quality, indoor comfort, uh, energy, renewable energy, water efficiency. So again, you can see that there's a, an environmental theme to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I think if you want to compare LEED to another standard, it would be BREEAM. They're kind of, they're, they're similar, but I think LEED is a bit simpler, more rigorous in the process. So they, uh, for you to a stamp of approval from Bream, you need an actual examiner to come and assess your, your performance of your building too. By the end of this year, we'll have everybody be a green associate. So we'll have to be really trained and then take an exam mm-hmm. associate exam so that you know, everyone will have this sort of uh, sustainable environmental sustainability foundation for, you know, to approach our design moving forward. Again, lead and well, there are some overlapping elements to them too so i think you know it's, it's not going to be difficult for us to sort of venture out and i think um it depends on what the clients want as well i think we can adapt to any situation and again like i said uh, standards are quite similar in their approach so there's there's a lot of similarities so like it's not too hard to switch or to adapt to other standards is that common in, in sort of in, in the design slash corporate world where you know people are uh, becoming green associates is that a, is that a common move or is that a dwp thing um i'm not really sure if it's common per se to, to to get accreditation but i think everyone is quite knowledgeable and quite you know trick uh taking that exam it's kind of an individual choice i think So let's talk about my favourite subject, which is circular economies. Do you think that more people in the design world should know about this um, this, this idea, the benefits it brings, and how should, in your mind, the industry be educated about this concept? Yeah, so um, definitely, I think, you know, circularity is a concept that was kind of worth it to tackle now. So I think I can I can tell you that there are, there's about two main problems, but I think I'll add the third one. So the first two would be the natural resources depletion. And then there's the second waste pollution. So we're experiencing all of these catastrophes simultaneously, and they're kind of interrelated, right? And then the third one would be the, the climate crisis. And all of this is in the, in, you know, so basically in, in circular circularity, you want to, um, uh, you're designing something that would, you know, physically manifest into the work you're designed to tackle these issues and i think it's you know the first thing first first things first you want to avoid using virgin raw materials and you want to avoid uh you know your construction materials going to waste so you know like you're you know and and so how do you then you know make sure that these things don't happen so that you're in your design process that's how you can sort of tackle these issues you know, as they call it, you know, designing out waste or, you know, ultimately when, when you're, when you have a design that's already has been sitting, you know, 50 years, so end of its life cycle, 
what happens to the materials that that went into that initially can you take them out and put them somewhere else that they could be useful so in that sense you're you're avoiding the raw virgin materials that you'll be using to do other projects using old materials right and also the old materials that you're taking out will go into the new projects so you're not throwing them away so you're capturing and sort of recapturing the the value that is in the waste and again you know there's a saying, I don't really, I don't remember by who, but it was like uh, someone's waste is someone else's treasure yeah. or something along that, along that line, right? And then there's the third, the third issue that we're facing now, so the climate crisis. Formerly climate change, so it has been, it's been officially escalated to climate crisis. And uh, we know that in the materials that we use, there's a, you know, there's carbon emissions associated with them, so we call that embodied carbon emissions so these are you know all of this is in the material so again what with uh when we choose our materials there's going to be that associated with it so again we have to choose low carbon materials and then at the design stage you're making sure that you're using the materials as efficient and as effective as effectively as can be and then at, at the end of life cycle that's something else so you know and then you know i think it really is an important concept that designers and architecture and architects have to be really mindful of and i think we're not reinventing the wheel here so i think the, this concept has been around forever is just that people have i think been the fast pace of our, you know, current society. So we can get things fast, things are easy, things are cheap. So we're just going to replace them. Yeah. So I think, you know, these are some of the, the and also I think because of the, the innate nature of architects and designers are natural problem solvers. So I think it's, if given the challenge, it can rise up to it. Okay. On that point, as an environmental sustainability specialist, yeah. um, if you could bring three things to the sustainability conversation yeah they be and why these three in particular sure but yeah let me preface that you know i like to be very pragmatic about sustainability so you know and you learn quite early on that you need to align different interests together for to get people to cooperate and you know just you know more of a, an activist and you know it's sort of you know you got to do this because things are happening bad things are happening if you don't do this then you know the world's going to end all the you know all that story and, and people are thinking oh that's that's a very alarmist and you know climate doomer uh perspective and i think there is definitely you know some truth to that <laughs> but most people won't get that idea unless you put a dollar my experience as a consultant, again, um, there is, uh, we look for metrics to measure things. So how do we measure the impact or the benefits of sustainability? Because, you know, again, sustainability is clearly vital to our planet's survival. And, you know, clearly climate change is having an impact on not just the world, but, you know, as us as a species as well, right? Unless you're a government or a business or, you know, impacted by climate change. So you see firsthand how much of a devastation it really is. So again, having sort of translating that into a dollar amount so people can see exactly how much you're, you're, you know, you're standing to lose, or if you're, you're, you're more sustainable, you're, you're taking initiatives to be more sustainable, what you stand to gain from that. Well, that would be 
for that that one point that that first point is making sure that people understand that there is a cost associated with sustainability right okay yeah and the second part is the you know so i studied global energy and climate policy in london and so i think a key piece of my education there was renewable energy is like can you, you just cannot be sustainable without the ability to generate energy out of the renewable we are now dependent entirely on the combustion of fossil fuels and combustion of fossil fuels comes with greenhouse gas emissions so i think in order to be uh, sustainable in order to actually be sustainable you have to have renewable energy on site for your design Thing, you know, sort of looping back into the you know the real estate development industry or the architecture or the design industry, there has to be on-site renewable energy plus battery storage. And the third would be you know that every industry, not just real estate, is doing sustainability. Every, sustainability is on the industry. So I've worked with you know real estate, oil and gas, uh, building materials, agribusiness, food and beverage, energy utilities, consumer products, manufacturing and banking, probably a little bit more, <laughs> but you know, just, just you get an idea, right? So sustainability is on the job, um, you know, the, the board meeting rooms, the center talking about it, they're just trying to do something. Some are, you know, slower than others, some are faster, some are already ahead of the game. But yeah, I think ultimately is a good indicator that, you know, we're taking this movement a lot more seriously now than, than maybe, you know, 15 years ago or even like 10 years ago. Yeah. As a company, DWP measures its energy use, water yeah. and other environmental factors and shares the opportunities for efficiencies across these areas so that all studios, all your, all your um, branches in the world and all your people can work as responsibly as possible. Do you think that this is something that you could teach other firms and even other industries? And if so, how would you go about it? Even with or without renewable energy, so in Australia as well, we're looking at how to be more lean with our energy use, with our energy consumption, you know, making sure that uh, we turn off our computers at night before we leave, making sure the lights are off when we're not using them, or even making sure that, you know, our equipment's energy efficiency rating is, is up to par, you know, in, in, our, in our purchasing policy. So yeah, so yeah, being a design firm, again, we can also use our expertise to make sure that our offices are energy efficient. This goes to, you know, the, the analyses that you can do to make sure that we can place lights in, you know, as strategic locations. So we're being very efficient with, with you know how we can use our energy there and for water consumption um as designing as an operation is not a water intensive operation unlike other industries so yeah so it's, it's not like you know we're consuming a copious amount of water every single day i think um I mean, what we can do is if we're, if we're in control of our water appliances, then, you know, make sure that we install water conserving. But if we can't do that, then, you know, we're just going to be as efficient as can be with when it comes to water. Um, and in terms of we're teaching other firms, again, I think efficiency really goes a long way. We have this target to go 
carbon neutral by 2023. But then again, we have the situation in Ukraine, things are more expensive. So if you're able to generate energy without the dependence on fluctuating fees or prices for fossil fuels, you're pretty insulated to external shocks. But not only that, you're in, in a normal situation, you'd be saving money now is, you know, we're a little bit more secure in that sense too. It's not, it's not to say that we're completely secure because obviously, you know, the, the geopolitics of, you know, the world or, you know, especially when it comes to energy does impact you in, in one way or another, you just can't escape it. But you're, you're, you're having that extra security to make sure that you're not bleeding out money. number of countries um you yeah um, have views of what happens in, in a lot of other places so how do they view and for that matter approach sustainability in other countries and, and which do you think is the better approach or is there a better approach i mean is, is it a is mm. it a matter of taking bits and pieces from a lot of places and combining them into one well, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's the latter. I think, you know, you, there's, there's no perfect, you just kind of have to see what works and what doesn't. But from what I've seen, right. So I think from our own example in Australia, there's, there's a huge awareness on sustainability. Our, our, uh, the people in our Australian studios are quite active, not just in their design process, but their day-to-day -day life, you know, they're talking about the, the last green mile, uh, making sure that they either bike or walk in their in their last mile to work, and, you know, with the shower facility when they get there, <laughs> yeah. or you know, even even with our you know with, with our own suppliers. Um, from what I've seen so far, we're we're fortunate that we have more sustainable options now than ever before. So it's just only a matter of cataloging and, and understanding what our suppliers are communicating. So there's regular, you know, when there's regulation, you can, it could be either good or bad, but, you know, reg not over-regulated. I think there's a good, there's a, there's a good chance that you can grow in a really responsible and sustainable way. Mm -hmm. And in Australia, I think there's, we're in a pretty good place to sustainability. And in the US, UK or EU, for example, those, I think for UK and EU, there's a good amount of regulations for sustainability as well. So in, in Europe, for example, in 2018, this was actually something that I, uh, that I had to look up from my dissertation. Um, there was a regulation passed in the, in the EU ensuring that EU, EV charging stations were to be installed in, or renovation in, in commercial buildings uh, moving from 2018. So, I mean, you know, that has a real impact. You're, you're then forced to do something in, in development. Well, if you're being forced by some other external force, that's good for me too. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Overall, do you think that the concept of sustainability is changing? Um, and I, I, you know, I, I get people asking me, sort telling me the the uh, a different story on on this theme every time I ask. But mm. it is changing, and if so, in what way? It hasn't changed much as a concept but i think you know maybe sustainability professionals always get flagged for rehashing previous eras 
so I, I don't think that you know there's any change but maybe there's a refocus on where you know there's a call for more information than in the previous year so uh i think there's i think the us or the eu for example they're making it almost mandatory to disclose on sustainability like legally binding i'm not sure please maybe this is off the record i need to do more research on this but i remember it was either us or the the eu that is uh, uh it's a part of your annual report that you need to disclose because because now there is you know there's more call for transparency on disclosure of information this then sort of opens up you know a new kind of indisability so there's now money pouring in interested in looking at companies who are doing you know good or bad so they can either invest or divest and also you know like uh, financial institutions too they're looking to give loans to people they're looking to uh, make sure that their involvement is not with something that's damaging to the environment or in you know to the society and uh, I think the last, you know, the, the, the change that I see eventually that, that should happen is that exists in the future. Because sustainability in itself, it, it's not, I don't think it should, it, sh it should not be an add-on service. There should not be a department for climate change and sustainability. It should just be in good DNA. So it's, it's, it only makes sense because it's good business practice. Because you're basically just, you know, making sure that your business can sustain itself in the long run with, with additional considerations on the environmental and social impacts, along with, of course, the, the strong financial performance. Hopefully, if, if sustainability professionals, if sustainability as a movement can do a really, really good job that is no longer needed, that's a great thing for it, for, for, for this industry. So, in other words, sustainability in its current form may well be unsustainable. Yes, as as a a standalone industry, uh, probably not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, but I think overall, as a concept, it, it definitely will live on. Kitty Pot Buchenkul, yeah. Group Sustainability Leader at Design Firm DWP. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Brent Kermelitic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.